The Tale of Games, a podcast that explores the history of the video game industry and the stories of the games you love. I'm your host, Hampus Bergström, a game designer and history nerd, and a person that loves everything about video games. Welcome you to The Tale of Games. Hello and welcome to the Tale of Games, very first episode. I'm your host, Hampus Bergström, and this is also my first time hosting a podcast. The plan for today is to tell you the story of the first video games between the late 40s and early 70s. This episode will only be an overview of the early history, and the next coming episodes are to give you all the same foundation and a good overview of video game history. So as the show progresses and you get a better understanding of the overall video game history, and as I become more comfortable doing podcasts, I can create deep dive episodes for you all without you people being completely lost. But that's enough for the intro. Let's put a coin in the Wayback Machine and press play. Welcome to the Tale of Games. With a podcast about video game history, is there any better place to start than the beginning? What was the first video game and who developed it? Who developed the first video game console and who released it? It might seem like these are easy questions to answer, but they're more complicated than you might think. If you ask someone what the first video game was, you will get a lot of different answers. It all depends on your view and criteria for what a video game is. As these first games are very primitive in nature compared to the games that would be released in the late 70s. For a long time, if you ask someone what the first video game was, you will probably get the answer Pong, or perhaps Computer Space, made by Nolan Bushnell and his team over at Atari. Nolan Bushnell is viewed as the father of video game by many. Now this answer is not completely off the mark, as Bushnell did coin the term video game, and was the first one to turn the video game industry into a million dollar industry with Atari. Pong was also the first really commercial successful game out there but the games were heavily inspired by early video games. Pong was almost a complete ripoff of an even earlier game. In 1968, Ralph H. Baer developed an early prototype of what later would be known as the Magnavog's Odyssey. This prototype was called Ralph Baer's Brown Box, due to its vinyl brown wood finish. Baer developed it while working for the defense contractor Sander Associates, and already from the start it was meant to be sold commercially for the public to purchase and was meant for entertainment purposes only. It utilized standard television sets as its display, in a similar fashion as video game consoles do today. It only ran one program, which was the game, no flashy menus or flashy operating systems or anything like that, Just a simple tennis game, very similar to the more popular Pong, with a very simple wired controller with a knob you rotate either left or right to move the player avatar either up or down, and was multiplayer between two players, who bounced a ball between them. There was also a slightly transparent screen overlays you could put on top of your television screen to get more game modes in a very primitive fashion. So you could, for example, play hockey instead of this tennis game. It was made so it would be cheap to mass produce and was released in 1972 by Magnavox as Magnavox Odyssey. 
During its lifetime, the console sold approximately 350,000 units worldwide. Even if it didn't even come close to the sale figures as the consoles after it, it still had a big impact in, within the gaming industry long after it was taken out of production, as Ralph Beer had been clever enough to take patent on fundamental concepts behind early video games. There were lawsuits against Atari, Bally, Chicago Coin, Activision, Mattel, and even Nintendo as late as 1985, and Magnavox won all of them. Even if the Magnavox didn't have as a large of an impact as Atari would have a couple of years later, there is no denying the importance of Ralph Bear's brown box and Ralph Bear's accomplishment within the technology industry. He did in fact get the National Medal of Technology in 2004 for, for those accomplishments. So was Ralph Bear's brown box the first video game? No, not really. First commercial available game, yes, most likely. First video game or computer game? No. To answer that question, we have to go even further back in time. And there's a lot of candidates depending on what qualifies as a video game for you. The first games were computer games, made by researchers at different universities or military research facilities, and was not intended for public or commercial release. And in most cases, the programs we would call games here was not even created for entertainment purposes, but rather to show the technical capabilities of the computers they were working on. Many of these games was not even played by anyone else than the creators themselves, and was only shown in different papers and so on. Some of the later games would be playable for university students, who also had access to the computer lab. Nolan Bushnell was one of those people who played at the computer lab at the university and got inspiration for Atari's first games in this way. Some of these early computers which had a video display was Manchester Baby, Manchester Mark I, Midac, Ferranti Mark I, Whirlwind One, and Edsac. And when I say early computers, I really do mean early computers. These computers were used in the late 40s and 50s and they were huge, they took up a whole room. If you have seen the mo- modern movie The Imitation Game, you can get a sense of uh, what type of computers I, I'm talking about. The, the early computer Alan Turing made, and stuff like that. One of the earliest examples of a video game we can see is the Bouncing Ball program, created in 1949 on the Whirlwind One, a computer that was shared by both the military for flight simulation, but also by MIT, where sometimes less serious use was shown. The program showed a 2D white bouncing ball, bouncing realistically according to physics up and down. Now this bouncing ball program is rumored to have been interactive, in that sense that you could alter some of the values of the ball and so forth, so it would affect the bouncing speed and so. But nothing more advanced than that. But it was definitely not a game according to me. But it hinted towards the possibility of something towards that direction. In 1951, Dietrich Prince created the first chess playing machine. An AI that would play against a human player. It was called Mating 2. It was developed on the Ferranti Mark 1, but there was no display of any kind involved. Instead the computer printed out their next move on paper instead. 
so it does not really qualify as a video game either. Also in 1951, the preliminary version of Christopher Strachey's Draughts was made on the Pilot Ace. But due to the lack of computing power, he had to redo the whole program for the more powerful Manchester Mark I. In the summer of 1952, Strachey had made a program that could play a game of draughts, or checkers if you prefer, as he puts it, at a reasonable pace. Unfortunately, not much has survived regarding this game, and due to the lack of evidence, many people do not see this as the first video game. In 1952, A.S. Douglas created a video game called OXO, or as he called it in his thesis on human-computer interaction, Noughts and Crosses. The game was developed on the EDSAC, and was a simple game of tic-tac-toe. In many people's views, this is the first video game. But some argue that because the display did not have real-time updating graphics, it, is, it does not qualify as a video game. You see, the game used three cathode ray tubes to display the game. The screen only changed or updated itself if someone made a move. As we move closer to the 60s, the program starts to become more sophisticated, we finally start to see something that reminds us of some classic arcade games. In 1958, William Higginbotham, an American nuclear physicist and a man who had been the head of technology at the Manhattan Project, developed the game Tennis for Two at Brookhaven National Laboratory, where they needed a simple way to show off the new technology that could calculate the trajectory of ballistic missiles. The game was displayed on an oscilloscope and each player controlled avatars with a separate aluminum controller with a knob on it. The game was, as its name suggests, a tennis game, very similar to Pong. And it was Pong's and Ralph Bear's biggest inspiration when they were creating their games. They, the game did show a representation of a tennis court from the side. Each player could try to hit the ball with a press of a button and try to get it over the net and they could angle their shot with a knob on the controller. And finally, the last game I will mention from the computer lab. Space War from 1962. Developed by Steve Russell in collaboration with Martin Greats, Wayne Wittanen, Bob Saunders and Steve Piner. It was developed on a PDP-1 mini computer at MIT and became very popular at the university for those who had access to a computer lab. The game was even later spread to many other different universities and making Space War the first known video game to, pl to be played at multiple computer installations. Space War would be the biggest inspiration for games such as Computer Space and Asteroids. It was a multiplayer game between two human players who controlled one spa spaceship each and tried to destroy each other with a limited set of torpedoes and fuel for maneuvering. The ships followed Newtonian physics, remaining in motion in motion even after the player has stopped accelerating. Initially, it controlled with the switches on the PDP-1, but as it was uncomfortable, Bob Saunders developed a gamepad for the game to be played on. It was probably the first gamepad ever created. Even though the game was very popular at universities, it was never intended to be sold to the public. Why? Because at the time computers were expensive, even mini computers. The PDP-1 that was needed to run the game sold for approximately $120,000 back in the 60s. As you can see, answering who created the first video game can be a bit difficult. There are so many candidates, but Pong was the first game to be called a video game in 1972. 
and was the first video game to be developed as such, a product for entertainment and to be sold commercially. By 1974, the term video game was starting to become widespread, and Atari began to dominate the market. In 1971, Nolan Bushnell and Ted Tabney developed and released Computer Space in partnership as Sisigi Engineering that would in the following year be turned into the company Atari. It was designed to be a coin-operated version of Space War, and the arcade cabinet had a futuristic look to it, and it looks very different from what we today think of when we think of a classical arcade cabinet. It had almost no sharp edges and only soft forms. It looks like something from an old space movie. Nolan Bushnell and Ted Tabney met each other while working alongside each other at the electronics company Ampex in San Francisco. They found that they shared many interests and went together to see programs at the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, where they among those programs saw the game Space War, and quickly developed the idea of a standalone computer system with an attached monitor and making it coin-operated. After developing a successful prototype, Bushnell managed to acquire Nothing Associates as a manufacturer for the game. Nothing Associates ordered 1,500 units to, produce, to be produced, hoping for a smash hit. Unfortunately, it wasn't. They eventually managed to sell all of their units, but at a lot slower pace than they had hoped for or predicted it to be. Even if computer Computer Space wasn't as huge of a success as they had hoped for, they managed to earn enough money to hire more people and continue on as Atari. One of these new employees was Al Alcorn. He was told by Bushnell that they had a contract with General Electric to create a home video game system, which was practically unheard of at the time. He was on board right away. The thing was though, this was a complete lie by Nolan Bushnell to acquire Alcorn, but Alcorn didn't care. Elkon was set to work right away. He was tasked for a training exercise to see what he could do. Essentially, they told him to do his own version of Tennis for Two or the Brown Box. The Magnavox has not yet been released when they started working on this, but evidence showed that Bushnell had seen the Brown Box at a tech event. Anyhow, Elkon managed to perfect the formula, adding a score counter, making the graphics, graphics look slightly better. Still just white square and a black background though. He added sound effects for the first time, and probably one of the more important aspects of this new version was that the ball speeded up each time it bounced off something, making the game more difficult, more fun, and added an additional layer of complexity to an otherwise very simple concept. Bushnell and the other at Atari liked the game so much they decided that they should release it as an arcade game. They gave it a simple yet unforgettable name, Pong. The first prototype playable by the public in 1972 at the local bar at Andy Capps Tavern. After a few days later, the bar contacted Atari about technical problems with the prototype. When Atari went over there to inspect the machine, what they discovered was that the problem was that the coin mechanism was overflowing with quarters. The prototype was a success. Pong was released at the end of November 1972, and by 73 it had sold 2,500 units, 
and by 74 it has sold more than 8,000 units. It also earned more than 4 times the revenue than any other coin operated machine at the time. The Magnavox Odyssey was soon forgotten about and Pong was king in the video game market. But Pong was not king in the arcade. Not any video game was during the majority of the 70s. No, in the arcade, pinball was king. Pinball had for a long time been associated with gambling and crime. To be fair, the really old pinball machine was more similar to a slot machine or a game of pure luck than a game of skill that it is today. Pinball was so associated with gambling and crime in fact that it was illegal in many places around America for a very long time. The ban was lifted in 1976 in New York and in LA the ban was lifted in 74 for pinball. The town of Kokomo, Indiana didn't lift their ban until 2016. Yes, you heard right, 2016. So during the 1970s, pinball tried to rebrand itself as good clean fun. And because of this, the early arcade games are probably more important for the history of video games than the home consoles, as video games rode the wave of pinball, and it sets video games associated with a history of public amusement and making video games, home video games into a version of something else. The home video game consoles would be first associated with the feminized domestic place at the time and marketed for a way for women to hold the family together and having great family fun, similar to board games at the time or television in its early days. The marketing tactics shifted over time though, to be more marketed as a way to bring the arcade experience home with all the threats from the arcade or amusement parks removed and for kids not to spend all their quarters on video games. During the first and second console generation, most of the time the home video games were ports of games that could be found in the arcade. It was very uncommon for a game to be released on home, home console first and then an arcade. The early days of video games are in some ways separated from the rest of video game history, and in other ways it's the first chapter in a very long story. Video games were not initially regarded as their own medium with a clear and distinct identity as video games seems to have in the late 80s or early 90s. The public perception of video game was very mixed and in many ways contradicting. News reports talked about the fear of children's lunch money being spent on coin-operated amusement, schoolwork being put to the side to be able to play video games, talk about gaming addiction worse than the addiction to hard drugs and minds being destroyed due to time spent in ele electronic microworlds. Here we also hear the first report of the myth that video games causes real life violence. The myth came from the United States Surgeon General who later admitted that he had no evidence to back up his claims whatsoever. But people also had high hopes for video games, that it would transform the world for the better, help the economy, help educate our children. Some of you saw it as an extension of the television, and similar to how we might conceive a Blu-ray player or something along those lines today. Video game arcades were also seen as more intellectual than pinball at the time, for example, due to no history with gambling or criminals. The arcade halls and amusement park parks was however associated with this in the beginning. So playing in the arcade hall was seen as sort of dangerous for the kids. The early days of video games are in many ways similar to the early days of the internet or radio, television, telephone and so forth. Coin-operated amusement was never seen as high culture, 
but rather working class and was meant for younger people, mostly male. This would change into something that was more popular with the middle class instead, still for younger people and for male. Um, this was thanks to the introduction of large malls and their arcade halls within them, and th because they were more safe and secure than the spots where arcade had been uh, before that. It was more family friendly than your average bar or amusement park. Even in all of these places you would only see one or two arcade machines during the 70s and would be placed alongside pinball machines, pool tables, miniature golf, go-karts, batting cages, soccer tables, juke boxes and so forth. In these places cleanliness was the top of the list. It was seen as a show of order and a show of respect for authority during the 70s. No smoking was allowed near machines, no eating, no drinking and very often you could see a big poster with a code of conduct when you walked into these places. Where did people play these games? Well I already mentioned bars and the mall, but the mall stood only for a third of the places where you might find a video game at this time. The other places would have been places as resorts, theme parks, bubbling alleys, school unions and different street spots. But the mall was growing quickly during the 70s. But let's jump back to the guys at Atari. Soon after the release of Pong, they would get one employee that would change the world. But not in the video game industry though. In 1974, an unkept, smelly and young Steve Jobs walked in announced at the Atari office. Yes, that's Steve Jobs. They almost thought about calling the cops, but instead they decided to hire him. What they didn't know was that they got two for one. Steve Jobs' partner in crime and also co-founder of Apple, uh, together with Steve Jobs, also joined Atari. His name was Steve Wozniak. Though he was never actually an official employee of, uh, of Atari as Steve Jobs was. Steve Jobs was said to be difficult to work with, but was very valuable, 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 difficult word to pronounce, number one, or ten, to the company, and very often the smartest guy in the room, and let everyone know that too. Steve Jobs and Wozniak didn't stay at the company for that long though, but they helped develop another hit for Atari, Breakout. Take Pong, flip it vertically, remove one player, instead put colored bricks that need to be, to be destroyed by the ball instead, and you essentially have Breakout. Simple game, yet very genius game. Atari during this time was known as a party company, often hiring younger people and instead of giving them bonuses or vacation time when they met certain quotas, they held big parties. A lot of alcohol and weed was consumed. Stores had been told that if you stood near air vents of the Atari offices for long enough, you could get stoned by all the weed smoke coming out. Probably an exaggeration, but that they like to smoke weed and drink alcohol is no secret. Around the same time as Steve Jobs joined the company, Atari released a home version of Pong. Home Pong. It was a success during its holiday release in 1975 and sold 150,000 units around release. Home Pong spawned a lot of Pong, Pong clones from different companies, and Atari themselves released several different versions of Home Pong. Among the most noteworthy Pong clones was we have the Color TV Game 6, made by Nintendo the only company that participated in the first console generation that are still currently developing game consoles. As Atari 
uh, knew that many straight up copied their games at this time, they often mislabeled different computer chips in their machines just to mess with people that tried to copy them. Atari would soon shake up the market again and take video games to a whole other level with their next home console, with Atari 2600, or just the Atari as people would come to call it, and a console that kickstarted the second generation of video game consoles. But I will tell you that story in the next episode of The Tale of Games. <laughs>